Guys, what is the crack? Not really any particular focus for this one, as you can guess by the title that I've placed on it. It is going to be kind of a brain dump. Similar to the kind of one I did the first day, I think, just to, I think it was just literally earlier on today from getting back to client check-ins and just dealing with um, certain questions. I just feel like there's an awful lot of stuff in my head. And I thought, what better way to try and provide value that can be almost instantly implemented or even just um, take something from it while it's still fresh in my head. So I'm probably going to touch on a, a handful of them. This will be the perfect opportunity for me to actually do a short one that I've promised. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll frame the question that was posed to me. I'll frame, um, I'll give you an idea of the background around the client themselves, how long they've been working with me, what kind of program they're on. Um, not the, the details of it, but what the main outcomes, hopefully, is it. Um, and then you then as the listener can then decide if it's worth either kind of diving into it a little bit more or if it's something that is maybe going to crop up somewhere down the line or even just it opens up a, a dialogue between you and me if you feel like you, you want to get a little bit more um, detail of that. So the first one I'm going to dive straight into is in relation to um calorie calculators i am i have one i have one on my website i can give it out to you for free if you want it there is plenty of them everywhere and they can be a useful tool so for most people when they start out into a fat loss phase a muscle building phase anything to nutrition the one question you'll always get asked no matter how long you're doing this job for is in relation to how many calories should I be eating? Blah, blah, blah. And the the initial go-to is, okay, check out this cal calorie calculator, put in all the details, um, plug them all in, press go, um, formula spits out X amount of calories, and there's, there's a rough target. Now, obviously, with the number that you get with that, it's, it is just a target. It's not set in stone. And there is a lot of wiggle room, depending on who you are, what phase you're in, what kind of relationship you have with food and training and all those sorts of things as well. So it really is um, very dependent on you as the individual. And where I'm going with this, I actually put up this, it's this same topic on my Instagram, IGTV yesterday at the time of recording this. And... The the point was I've been working with um a female uh, mid twenties for the last um just over twelve months, and it's been a long long progress, very um successful down um about three stone roughly, which is fantastic for her. Um, put in the work, made it as excuse me, made it as simple as we possibly could for her and but we were focused on the long game and getting results in the long term and being able to maintain it rather than um, diving straight into a um kind of a, a an aggressive deficit but again that's neither here nor there the 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 question was 
Um, she got to kind of the end of a fat loss phase a few weeks ago and we were looking at kind of maintaining slash um, doing a body recomp. So not really focusing on the scales too much um, with weight, but looking at taking measurements every week or two and comparing them on a monthly basis. And she texted me yesterday being like, um, I've filled out, just going through um, a calorie calculator I found online. It said I should be on this amount of calories. Am I eating too little? Um, should I bump up my calories a bit more? Um, and these sorts of questions then because now there's a, another external number based on a calculator um, and what that person perceives as, as being the right amount of calories to be eating. But like I said, those calculators don't take into consideration the where that person is in particular at that point in time. Now, just to set um, the scene, this um, female is on 18 to 1900 calories. So she's by no means being starved. And before you start thinking about it, the calorie itself came out at, um, I think needing to be in around 2,300 or something around there. So about four to 500 calories over where she was. And the question was, was she eating uh, too little? Did she need to eat more uh, to continue to build muscle? And these sorts of questions do pop up every now and again. So with that, I told her that where she was, because we weren't focusing on weight, we were literally just, we were using a lot of subjective measurements. So subjective measurements are how she feels on a day-to-day -day basis, hunger levels on, a, on an average basis. So not kind of day-to-day, -day, but more so over the week, because there is going to be, especially if you're in a deficit, there is going to be periods of time where you're in a deficit and you do feel slightly hunger, such as the nature of being in a deficit. Um, is... Other subjective measurements then were just energy levels for sessions. She's doing um, quite a few runs. She's on nights as well. So that was another thing to take into consideration, um, the effect on sleep. So all these different subjective measurements were our guide towards how she was progressing. And if any of those started to get too intense, like sleep was poor, very hungry, that then is going to influence adherence, which for any nutrition program or any goal that's body composition related, adherence is going to be number one. And if adherence isn't upwards of about 80% roughly, and it gets more difficult to stay on track with certain things, then the plan is essentially worthless because like I said, they're not going to adhere to it. They're going to be picking, snacking and all these sorts of things as well. So those were the sorts of things that we were looking at. And the, the point of this whole thing now is that when you use, when you initially start to use a cal calorie calculator, I would suggest you use it in the very beginning, get a, a rough estimate of where you're at. And then from there, then it's a, almost a continuous journey that you're on. So you'll never really come back to that calculator because you've done it originally you've gone through your six to eight weeks of whatever it is of fat loss muscle gain and you know roughly how many calories you need to be eating to be in a surplus or a deficit and from there then you can start to add take away and position yourself in the correct position to 
move on to the next phase. So for her, her next phase is to it's a body comp, so can we fat loss and muscle gain at the same time, which for people who are relatively new to the gym, it is very doable. Obviously, setting up the calories and the training correctly um, is going to be key to that. And one of the things, so from here, now, instead of going back to use that calculator, all we've got to do is just add in maybe 100 calories a week or every two weeks and see, we might have to bring in weighing every three to five days to get an idea of, of an average of where the weight is going because then we can assess whether we're in a deficit or a surplus or not. What we want to be doing is staying in and around maintenance or slightly above that. And the only way we're going to get an accurate picture of that is by using these subjective measurements alongside the objective measurements, which is the weighing scales and the measurements. And like I said, they're, they're objective, but they are influenced by quite a lot of things as well. And, and that's going to be a, an episode in itself. But there, uh, the more data that we have to go alongside that is going to help us make better decisions. And the more often we take those measurements and the more often or the more information we get with each of those as well, it's going to be better for us. So if you weigh yourself and you know you had a a big meal the night before you might weigh yourself at seven eight o'clock every morning and you might have had a, a later meal than normal maybe about nine or ten or an extra few drinks or a few um treats in even time and now what you're doing now is you're, you're actually sitting with extra food in your stomach so the extra half kilo whatever it is extra pound that's on the scales that particular morning could be then attributed to that extra bit of water retention extra food in your stomach as opposed to it being attributed to extra fat gain in 24 hours. And that's just the things that we need to be aware of and to communicate with your clients to let them know that that's what it could be. It might not be, it could be anything else, but it's important that we don't just immediately sink into this, like, oh, the, the scales are a devil or the scales is a naughty step. It is useful. And there is a certain um, group of people that are better off not using them. Um, but for most, we can't just completely remove them from the toolbox. And it's important to learn and to teach people how to, to do it correctly. Um, but that was the first one. The second one then that I wanted to briefly touch on was another one of my clients. But this time it was a male client, um, early 20s. Um massive rapid weight loss um and it was through intermittent fasting now intermittent fasting isn't like gold standard it's not magic um it is very very useful for fat loss in particular and this particular person lost oh, in and around 15 kilos in about um i would dare to say in around two, eight to 10 weeks. Um, so like you'd consider that extremely quick. And one of the things I suppose we, we've been touching on recently is the, the importance of understanding like the journey that he's on with regards to the fat loss and where he was um, psychologically before he made 
the transition to to trying to actually um, lose the weight over that time. But it's one of those ones like he it was in a fat loss phase and he was very, very adherent and consistent. He would intermittent fast and, and eat in a, in a very, very small window, maybe one meal and a snack in the evening time. Um, up the steps massively to, again, I, I, I couldn't even begin to start to tell you, I thought maybe 12 to 15,000 steps a day. Um, but at no point again did he feel like he was forcing himself to do it. Um, it, it wasn't as if I'd prescribed it for him. He just, he'd stumble upon it and he'd ask me, was intermittent fasting okay? Um, would it, you know, hamper anything in relation to fat loss? Would it be a negative? And it's one of those things that like, it can be incredibly, um, effective because it's just another form of restricting feeding and the thing with dietary restriction is the best way to go about it is to find whatever way you can get yourself into a calorie deficit or a calorie restriction or, or whatever restriction it is without actually feeling like you are being restricted um, and as they always say, like the best diet is the one that you feel like you're not ever on. So for him, it wasn't a case of like waking up in the morning hungry. Oh, man, I'm dying to have something to eat. Um, you know, it was a case of like, didn't really even think about eating because I think for a lot of people, diet and nutrition is actually very environmental and social. Like people go out for food, you know, a coffee and it's a bun or you know, a brownie or whatever it is. Um, that's your kind of like your your social eating, and then you got your environmental eating where you do your food shop, and you're just inclined to stock up on certain foods. And had they not been there, you wouldn't ever have eaten them. But because they're stocked in large supply in the house, they're something that you're like a picker or a grazer, and that's what drives you to eat then. And it's just, it becomes a learned habit and it's one that's hard to get out of. So for him, he didn't really have any of those kind of environmental or, or social um, associations to food, which again is positive for him. His biggest issue, I suppose, was around being in college and sinking into that um, routine of, you know, like being in first year and sucked into that like oh you have to go out all the time which look we've all done it i, I did it myself in first year um it's it, it's part of it and it's hard to then kind of pull yourself out of it um you're going out drinking three or four nights a week and you know, it's takeaways on those nights and then it's you know bad food the following day because you feel like shit and then the following day after that you're going drinking again and it's you're almost like drinking or eating six or seven days out of the week and there's no real break and there's no real routine and there's no uh, plan. So that was the biggest one to get out of. And I think lockdown helped with that because um, colleges were off. Um, there was no, um, obviously no house parties, no going out. So there was none of that feeding into the, the added calories that he was having. And that made it a whole lot easier as well. Um, and like I said, did a, a massive job in, in shifting the weight and managing to keep it off. But the biggest thing is that now 
post fat loss phase and we're moving into more of a maintenance and kind of a, a, a hypertrophy phase soon because we've got some um, injuries to, to start looking at. Um, he is now looking to maintain all of those habits that he has post um, kind of that whole coaching period. So the, the extra steps during the day um, to keep uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis quite high, especially if you're working from home or if you're um, doing college from home, you do tend to get sucked into that sitting down all day. And I noticed it myself now the last four or five weeks where I'm still training in the morning time, but my overall step count is quite low. And therefore my actual um, energy expenditure during the day is quite low as well, which is having some I suppose negative impacts on um, being able to maintain weight or, or, or putting up weight. But for me, it's it's not really a problem right now. But they're the, the keys then to remember that after you've gone through a phase like that, that, that there's positive learning outcomes from it and you're able to maintain those after a longer period of time. So that it doesn't always feel like you're you're having to do a certain thing, but you do it because you want to. Um, and then that would lead on to like the next thing for him. If, if hypertrophy is going to be his primary goal, intermittent fasting then no longer fits with being practical for that. Um, in initially it might be okay, but for obviously one of your principles for hypertrophy is stimulating muscle protein synthesis, um, every three to four hours to be optimal. Obviously maintaining or kind of hitting your protein target for the day is, is rule number one, because that'll be the, the, the main driver of it, but to be a little bit more practical and, and be able to hit your, your goals quicker, stimulating protein synthesis, every three to four hours with a meal or a bolus of protein is going to be another thing they're going to think about. And if you're intermittent fasting and you're time restricting, time restricting your meals, it, it doesn't fit in with that construct. And we've got to now figure out, okay, what's the best way to kind of work this out. And for him now, what we might do is, I think, is it a 16-8 a split that he might be on? um of kind of time restricting that uh, eating period and what we could do now is split that eight hour um feeding period into two four hour blocks so now you're having um f a four hour block in the morning and a four hour block in the evening so you might eat one meal at the start of the four hour block and then another um kind of snack then at the end of that four hours and then another meal in the second so now you can actually start to play around with those things something like that now when you actually look at it down on paper it looks just like normal um eating habits and it could um but it's i suppose part of that transitioning from how the lifestyle and how the diet that he was going through was set up for him that suited what he liked and, and how it was easy for him to adhere to to get the results that he wanted and how can we then slowly transition into something new 
so that the fear of, I suppose, again, gaining fat and, and you know, going back to how he used to be, because that's that's a, obviously a massive thing for most people. When you spend that amount of time and effort into getting yourself into some bit of shape or uh, out of um, the the vicious cycle that you might be in, one of the biggest fears people have is is then going back there because it's somewhere it's someone or something that you don't enjoy and it doesn't make you feel good about where you are in your life and it's just it's a bad place to be for anybody um, and again that's one of the the psychological barriers to to dieting and training that that people might have and and it's something just to be aware of that's number two i think the the third one then we'll move then into a bit more of the sports performance side of things and one of two of the lads um we've been doing kind of distance coaching with and more so just the programming um they are both in a um hypertrophy phase so the last since the season ended it's probably in around august september um was the end of the season for them and kind of transitioned into a month of kind of freestyle sessions where they just got psychological break from structured training and then moved into a hypertrophy block for the last two months, uh, gaining re- gaining weight at a decent rate. And the biggest concern people have a lot of the times is that when you go into a hypertrophy block and you're starting to gain weight is how will that affect speed-wise? So if you're gaining weight, is that going to negatively impact on your speed? And there's a, a couple of different things to think about here. One is the, the longer you're training, the more you'll start to figure out what your optimal weight is. And what I mean by that is you'll find that you'll have a certain range of body weight that you feel best at when you're playing and when you're training. For me, it used to be in around 81 to 83 kilos. When I was any lighter, I just felt kind of weak and um, not powerful. And anything above that, in that 84 range, I started to feel heavy, sluggish and slow. Um, A lot of that was to do with the style of training I was doing at the time. And now, obviously, given my circumstances, there's no way I'm going to be able to get back down um, to those levels. I'm currently about 94, 95 kilos. Um, so you're, I'd say, be saying goodnight and God bless to, to hitting 80 again. <laughs> um, but the, the point is then is is how you'll know, um, you'll, you'll start to learn a bit more about yourself and, and what is your optimal um, weight for yourself regards to sports performance and you've, you've got to take note of that too so that when you are kind of moving into a hypertrophy block and, and adding muscle mass you don't want to add it too fast because you can start to tr- stray too far outside that zone but what you also might find is that you will or you may find us pushing past that range that you previously thought was was your optimal range is actually not and by adding a little bit more um, muscle mass to your frame, it actually benefits you anyway. Um, with that as well, a lot of times when people go through a hypertrophy phase, they actually leave out the most important thing about maintaining or developing speed, and that is sprinting. And we've 
implemented the the tempo running um, template that I have for the off season. We've just tweaked it slightly so it's a little bit quicker, so that it actually, as these athletes go through this hypertrophy phase and we're adding mass onto the body, again a little bit of muscle, a bit of fat to go with that as well, but we're maintaining some level of speed training so that at worst case scenario there's no change in speed but there's an increase of two to four kilos over a two to three month period and now what you'll find is as you start to strip back then in the pre-season and start to cut a little bit of the fat back to reveal some of the muscle that you've gained you'll now find that you're actually starting to increase speed after that so you've maintained the level of speed that you had while adding mass onto your frame so you're the same speed the same quickness but you're heavier and now as you start to strip some of that fat back which doesn't positively contribute to sports performance or being quick as that starts to come off you're now adding in or, or increasing the amount of force that you can put into the ground relative to the body weight that you have and therefore you become a faster athlete and that's what you got to think about as well so it's a, it played a long game with that so when you are getting involved in some sort of um, muscle building phase or, or in weight gaining phases don't leave out sprinting don't leave out some level of speed work in your program because it is going to be a vital um, even from a maintenance point of view for robustness of the hamstrings and just the one of your key uh, your KPIs your key performance indicators for sport is going to be sprinting anyway so it's something you have to do so it makes little to no sense to to leave it out of your program altogether especially from a, an injury prevention point of view as well because a lot of times if you're, if you're adding extra mass on and you're getting stronger and your body's actually able to produce a lot more force and you go out and sprint after having not sprinted for six to eight weeks, the likelihood of you pulling a hamstring because now you're producing more force running either at the same speed or slightly faster, but you haven't been exposed to this new, I suppose, speed speed of movement and your body's not accustomed to that and it doesn't know how to handle it, the first thing that's going to go is a hamstring. Um, and then anybody that's kind of had the unfortunate um, experience of pulling a hamstring will know that it is a nasty one and it's a, it's a horrible one to try and um, shift. And even from a psychological point of view, if you've ever pulled your hamstring, you know that you're almost constantly worried about it going. And what you'll find is one of two things. One, you won't be able to sprint as fast as you can because you're holding back. And two, you'll alter your running mechanics to try and protect it, which will then lead itself to you probably um, getting injured somewhere else. So um, biggest key there is as you are going through this off-season period, do maintain some level of um, speed work so that you can maintain speed while gaining weight. And also from a um, speed development point of view anyway, because a lot of times people don't do it properly. People don't spend the time increasing speed for field sport athletes. And the off season is a perfect time to do it because you don't have the added stress of field sport training, which competes with um, other, I suppose, physiological variables in, in trying to actually develop speed. 
like I said, that that one it will be another um episode soon. I'm gonna go over kind of the the building blocks for your off season. Um. Yeah, I think I think for 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 now that's that's pretty much it. I think you had the first one to do with calorie calculators, the second one, um, intermittent fasting and, and kind of transitioning out of a a dieting phase into a hypertrophy phase, especially going into Christmas now because calories are gonna be a lot higher. And then you have the hypertrophy block and maintaining speed work throughout the off season. Um, because that is going to be net positive for you as an athlete. So for now, I will leave it there. We will manage to keep it in under the 30-minute the mark, which is fantastic. But yeah, that's great. I will leave it there. Um, thank you very much for listening. Thanks very much for all the feedback I've been getting, which is great. If you could leave a little review somewhere so that someone sees it and someone actually wants to listen, but if you've got anything else you want me to cover or you want me to go into more detail on any of those topics that I talked about there, do let me know and I will chat to you guys soon.